You can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 is where we land once again this morning. As if you'll remember, two weeks ago, we were here in Romans 15. And here in just a few weeks, you'll be getting all of Romans that you could want and more as if you have not heard the announcement or missed it somehow, we, uh, in January, will be starting a series in Romans that should last around a year and a half, uh, if not more. We'll see how carried away I get. But, so, nonetheless, it will take us a long time to get to chapter 15. So don't worry, you're not going to be uh, double dipping or triple dipping too much here in chapter 15. Nonetheless, uh, we find ourselves this morning here on the Advent theme of joy. As we've made our way from hope, love, and now joy. And so with each candle, we are continually looking back, as we do in the Advent season, to Christ's first Advent, to look forward in great anticipation uh, for His second Advent. So with each candle, we're saying, the King is coming simultaneously, and also saying, The King has come and will come again. And so we are uh, graciously and anxiously awaiting to light that Christ candle on Christmas Eve and uh, look forward to that day of Christ's return. We are days away, though, from those familiar scenes of dads grumpily marching around the house with trash bags trying to collect every single piece of wrapping paper right, that has been shredded, crumpled, and thrown about. Moms trying to get as many pictures as possible simultaneous while also trying to save the bags and tissue paper to be used again for another gift and another gift and many times over. Kids excitedly playing with that toy that they've always dreamed of getting as of two days ago, a brand new box, right? So... Nonetheless, now I want us to take that scene, it's an all familiar scene, it's the scene that awaits us on Christmas morning, and I want us to fast forward one week away from that scene of of Christmas morning. Do all of those same emotions and feelings of happiness and contentment remain? No, most likely not, right? Why? If the whole purpose of us giving gifts to one another at Christmas is to be symbolic of the ultimate gift which was given us at Christmas, that being Christ himself, then why does this familiar Christmas scene fall so short? Because it's not the real thing, right? And it's not supposed to be. It is, again, it's symbolic. It's not the thing itself. So it's merely intended to be a dimly lit reflection pointing us to the true gift. So ultimately, it falls short because of the absence of our Advent theme today, joy. It falls short because all of those things that we, we see at Christmas that are meant to be dimly lit reflections, they are, they are ultimately encapsulated in that, that word of, of happiness, right? But our Advent theme today is joy. Why do we need joy? Where does true joy come from? What does it do to us to have and live with joy? All questions which I aim for us to see in the truth 
of God's word this morning. As I am totally persuaded from the text that Christmas was and is for the continual fueling of our joy in Christ. So I'll ask you to stand once again in honor of the reading of God's word as we read our text from this morning, which is just one verse, one short verse, Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of God. Let's pray, church. God, as we come before you and as we read your word and as we see the far-reaching threads throughout your word that uh, continually show us simultaneously both the absence of our joy here on this earth and in this life and in the flesh and also the overabundance of joy that you fill us with continually in Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to see that in your word this morning and that it would profoundly impact us. For the believer, I pray that it would impact us to walk in and to live in joy and to see the implications that that has on how we love one another, treat one another, how we live in this life. And I also pray, Lord, for the non-believer whose life is absent of joy, that you would fill them with all joy in believing and draw them to yourself. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. As I already mentioned, we observed this verse just two weeks ago for our first theme of Advent, which is prominently featured here, and that being hope. There we sought to plumb the depths of verses 8 through 12. That was what we really expounded upon there as we went through verses 8 through 12 uh, as a basis there for our verse this morning, verse 13. So now we're circling back for an even deeper dive into verse 13 to see its far-reaching implications elsewhere in God's Word. So we see there again here in verse 13 which at first glance may seem like a simple verse, but it, though being simple, has profound implications. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So we're going to break this verse down. We're going to see some of these implications and we're going to go elsewhere in Scripture to see how they inform our understanding of all the implications here. So this verse begins with the premise of this, that God is a God of hope. And so this then flows into the idea that being a God of hope Paul's prayer is that the Lord would fill the church with two things and in a very specific way. So let's first address the two things, all right, joy and peace. But before we can get to those two things, we need to see here as he refers to God as the God of hope, notice it, we first see this God of statement going back to 
chapter 3 here of Romans, where Paul says, is God only the God of the Jews or the Gentiles also? So God of the Jews. But no, he says he is also the God of the Gentiles. And so he builds upon this as we go through Romans, showing that God has grafted in Jew, the Gentiles into true Israel, the remnant of Israel, and looking forward to and having faith in Christ. So now, as he's continued to build this sentiment and build this foundation of God's electing his people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, we see that he refers here in chapter 15, he uses this phrase, God of, three times. If you go back there to verse 5, you'll see it says, the God of endurance. And then here in our text for this morning, verse 13, God of hope. If you jump ahead to verse 33, you see God of peace. So we're seeing how he is referring to and rooting God's action in us and how he affects change in our lives, how he expects us to live, how he helps us to live, rooting it in the character attributes of God himself. That he is a God of endurance, as he has shown long-suffering, enduring patience for his people and loving kindness and grace to his people. He's a God of hope, as he has continually given his people hope in his own salvation and showing grace to them. And he is a God of peace, and that he has made peace between us and him through the work of Christ on the cross. So you're seeing how he's rooting all of these things and how he affects change in us in the character attributes of God. So specifically focus this morning on joy. Here, our, our text for today, verse 13. He is the God of hope, and therefore he wants to create within us, create within his people an abounding hope, a hope that can endure, a hope that lasts. So how does he do that? He wants to, this God of hope, Paul prays, would fill the church with all joy. So the question I want us to ask this morning, first, why do we need joy? And why do we need to be filled with it? I think any one of us could take a cursory look at not just our own life, but look at the life of all people and see that joy is something we crave, we desire, we want. We want to have something that lasts, that makes us have that overabounding sense of happiness, that regular sense of happiness just being temporal and fleeting. But we want that overabounding joy. So we need joy. But why do we need to be given joy outside of ourselves is the question that I'm getting to. Why do we need joy to be filled from God and why can't we find joy ourselves? If you look at the secular understanding of human experience, you will see an endless pursuit, an exhausting pursuit, a pointless pursuit of joy. Everyone is seeking it. Everyone 
wants it. Why? We've been created to need it and to want it. And I don't want to belabor the differences between joy and happiness. I think that's been done before. However, the point stands true. Happiness is temporary. Joy is lasting. So why do I say that the the secular experience of human life in an endless pursuit, an exhausting pursuit, a pointless pursuit of joy, why do I say that it's endless and exhausting and pointless? Because all we can find in this life is temporal happiness. With that in mind, when you consider the, again, the secular human spirits, we see it as starved of joy. The secular human experience seeks joy in all manner of things, substances, whether they be food, drug, alcohol, activities, groups, whether they be political parties or clubs, organizations, any sort of community that the secular human can find, they'll seek it and they'll cling to it. Material things, people, relationships, all of these things are uh, sources that the secular world will seek out to find joy. But why are they all only temporal? Why do they only provide temporary happiness only for them or us uh, outside of Christ to move to the next thing and to the next thing and to the next thing, looking for that thing that will give us something lasting and hopeful? A deep abiding knowledge and understanding and belief of verses 8 through 12 produce an overabundance of joy. Let's look at verses 8 through 12 again. We looked at these just two weeks ago, but we cannot, even even if we continued over the next several Sundays, just looking at these verses alone, scratch the surface of their implications here. Because here, Paul says, I tell you that Christ became a servant. Again, that's Christmas. He became a servant. He stepped down to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to, if you'll remember, confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So there we rooted that promise, those promises given to the patriarchs all the way back to Abraham. That kings would come from you is what the Lord said to Abraham as he made his covenant with him. And we continue there, though, and in order, verse 9, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So also that the Gentiles would realize the covenant promises. And he goes on to quote, therefore, from the prophets and the law and the writings, showing that throughout God's word, he has revealed his promises and his intentions for Gentiles to be grafted in, to be able to have joy and to worship and to realize the promises given to the patriarchs. And so as we get here to the end of this statement, is where Paul then says, as he's laid all this out through the entirety of God's word, having shown the Lord's providential purposes in Christ to unite all things under himself. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. 
when we have a deep abiding knowledge and understanding of God's providential working in Christ to help us rejoice, to praise the Lord, to have hope, that produces an overabundance of joy in us. So I want us to see, though, the next question is, how does this God of hope fill us with all joy and peace? Well, he does so right there in those next two words, in believing. So not only does he give us the source, but he gives us the means in this short little verse here in verse 13. The source, of course, is the God of hope. He's the one that fills us with joy and peace. How does he do it? In believing. See, joy is the fruit of belief. That is, to clearly illustrate this analogy, the tree that produces the fruit of joy, the thing that all of us desire, whether secular or in Christ, the tree that produces the fruit of joy is that of belief or faith. Which means, of course, if you don't have faith, you don't get the fruit that it produces. So that's why the secular pursuit is endless and exhausting and pointless. It's because they're seeking something that can't be found here in and of ourselves. All of those who are in Christ, we once sought endlessly something that couldn't be found in and of ourselves. In order for our hearts to have joy, we must have faith. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Okay, so believe. But believe in what or who? Well, for that, I want you to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want us to see the providential and divine continuity here between this message of Paul to the church at Rome and here Peter's message to a dispersed church that's experiencing extreme persecution. And here in chapter 1, this is just the beginning of what Peter is laying out on how they need to live out their faith in the midst of such persecution. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So just a pause right there. He begins this message. Take note because it's going to make... Increasingly more sense as we move along. But he begins this message by rooting it in rejoicing in who? Christ and God the Father. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So that's salvation. Right? So he's caused us to be born again. So we're talking about joy being the fruit of belief. And in what or who do we have to believe in order to receive and get this joy fruit? 
Peter here talking to an extremely persecuted and dispersed church. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So now we have this extra element here that faith not only produces joy within us, but it also is guarding us as we go through this life. But just see what's been laid out for us, that the living hope of our salvation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is what all of this is rooted in. And he expounds on that, this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So although this world seems chaotic and like it is passing like a vapor, as you're watching brothers and sisters die, or as you're watching brothers or sisters be persecuted, our inheritance that we have through the salvation in Christ is unperishable. It is undefiled, unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. That's the idea here. You, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So there it is. Guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So that's the, the completion, the ultimate completion of God's sanctifying work in us on the last day. So you move to verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this faith not only guards us, and it's again this faith in Christ, our salvation in Christ, but also is it's being refined within us through our trials. Take note of that. It's continually being refined, more precious than gold that perishes. And at the end, the end result of that is that it be found resulting in even more praise and more glory and more honor at the revelation of Jesus. And then you go on and continue to verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. So even though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you do what? Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So we're guarded through faith, and this results in praise and glory and honor. And we believe in him and rejoice, therefore, that, that belief produces what fruit? The same fruit that we see here now that we're back in verse 13 of Romans 15. 
It produces this inexpressible. So our human fragile state is not capable of fully expressing the joy that we are filled with in our salvation. So this is a faith in Christ which leads to salvation is what produces the fruit of joy. So where does that faith come from? So we're just continuing to kind of peel all this back, unfold all this. Where does that faith come from? Does it come from within? As if it's some pseudo form of courage that we just need to summon? No. If you'll look or just take note, it'll be on the screen for you. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we read this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, faith which produces joy, the faith which leads to salvation is something that we do not have within ourselves. This is why we cannot find it within ourselves or here in any endless pursuit of temporal pleasure that we can seek here on this earth. That faith is a saving faith that comes through hearing the gospel. See, our salvation is to be a constant producer of joy within us. Why? Because our salvation unites us with the one who supplies us with all things and who himself is the creator and sustainer of all things. This is why it's such a conundrum for us when we meet or we run into or we know or we see self-proclaiming Christians who are seemingly joyless. You see, that stereotype resonates because we've all seen or known or met that person. Why does that drive us bonkers? Why does that seem so conflicting to us because something's wrong with it if you're a self-proclaiming christian with no joy well then just based off the basic equation that we've seen here is that that the god of hope fills us with joy and peace in believing if you're a self-proclaiming christian with no joy i'll challenge you to consider if you are a self-proclaiming christian with no true saving knowledge of christ That's the stark reality there, is that our salvation in Christ is to be a continual producer of joy within us, a joy that's inexpressible, like we don't possess the ability to fully comprehend and express outwardly the joy that we have in Christ. I'll turn us now <coughs> to Luke chapter 2. The Christmas story. In Luke 2, starting in verse 10, we see this pronouncement of joy that comes in Christ from the very announcement of Christ that joy was inextricably linked to his arrival. Therefore, joy 
is inextricably linked to his people. Let's look. Luke chapter 2, starting verse 10. So this is shepherds in the fields, right? Angel of the Lord appears to them. Glory of the Lord shines around them. And the shepherds are filled with great fear. Understandably so, right? Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. They always have to say that because it's always a fearful thing that we see here. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This joy is for and be being pronounced to all the world. This gospel is being pronounced in all the world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. So now we see, now we're, now we're hearing what this joy is. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, to, angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So I want to, again, we're seeing here how joy is inextricably linked here to this pronouncement of Christ. And therefore, it's inextricably linked to the people of Christ. So we have these, these angels appear to the shepherds. Fear not, and I bring you good news of great joy. What was the joy? A birth announcement? Is it simply the announcement of Jesus' birth? Or is it the pronouncement of who Jesus is and what he's come to do? We've all seen in our day all manner of birth announcements, gender reveals, and the rejoicing that comes with the baby. But this was not just another announcement of the birth of just another baby. That's where the joy is. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And here's the joy. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the joy. That's the announcement of joy. Is that we needed a Savior and this Savior was provided for us. But not only that, what else do we see here at the Christmas story of joy? Because this unexpressible, inexpressible joy that comes with knowing Christ, what happens? And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. So even the heavenly hosts couldn't help but express the joy that had come in this announcement. Glory to God in the highest and peace be amongst those with whom he is pleased. 
What do we call that? Rejoicing, right? They are rejoicing, giving glory to God in the highest. So the angels go away there in verse 15. And what do the shepherds say? Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened. So they want to go see this announcement of joy. They want to go see this Savior. And so they make haste. You don't make haste about things that you're not joyful about. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they did what? They did the same thing that the heavenly host did whenever they announced it. They made it known. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You see, true joy can't help but be reproduced through rejoicing. True joy is constantly focused somewhere. It's not just sitting and stagnant. It's like, I've got joy now. So I'm just going to sit here joyful. True joy can't help but reproduce through rejoicing. It's constantly saying, look at this joy. But rejoicing in what? And over and over again, we're seeing here, our rejoicing is to be in Christ. Going back to our verse in 1 Peter just moments ago, the joy that is produced in us from our salvation is not simply for the purpose of us stagnating in it. Just being satisfied with our own joy. And then just sitting there on it. No, that joy is meant to compel us to do something and that something is to rejoice. Not in the joy itself, not in ourselves, but in Christ. Whatever you are rejoicing in or about in your life, is that rooted in Christ? Or are you simply rejoicing out of selfish gratification and reward? I got this job. I get to buy XYZ. I'm now able to go insert this place. I can now do this or that. I'm now the recipient of or the owner of this or that. Whatever it is that you find in your life worth rejoicing over. That you're so excited to rejoice about. Are you rejoicing about that thing in Christ? Because here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we so easily default to self-gratification that we will celebrate things that God has provided and done and completely exclude Him. Because that's how self-centered our flesh is. You see, to root our rejoicing in Christ, we must see all things through the lens of His provision. And to the praise of his glory. So what does that mean? It means you get none of the glory. And that offends us. See, when our joy is producing right rejoicing in Christ within our hearts, we get to enjoy the common graces of this world rightly. 
We get to enjoy archery and bow hunting while giving honor and glory to God for it. Maybe you don't, but that's what I get to do. We get to enjoy cars or food, relationships, all those things which I listed a while ago and which the secular world struggles to find joy in. We get to enjoy those things rightly because we realize our joy is not in those things, but in the giver of those things. And so even the common graces in life, when our joy is rightly aligned and in Christ, we get to enjoy those things rightly. And rather than finding joy in those things, it is through those things that we give praise and honor and glory to the one who has given us all joy. That is the God of hope, which fills us with all joy. Because the joy of Christmas is that we find all true joy in him. See, our salvation is just the beginning of the joy that we find in Christ. Because our joy flows from that fountainhead. We begin to see the joy of Christ in all things. So that we are constantly overflowing with joy in Christ at all things which he has done, is doing, and will do all for his glory. You see, joy emboldens our endurance and focuses us on Christ. I'll turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we see verse 1, which is a a very famous and well-known reference. It's the cloud of witnesses verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, everybody stops there at verse 1. Everybody stops there at verse 1 and like just kind of, that one fits nicely on a running t-shirt or like, like everybody focuses on all that. And it, and it sounds nice too, like throwing aside all this weight, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It sounds cool. But the point is, running is not easy. And not only that, we're supposed to run this race with endurance. Okay, so now we're talking about some not-so-fun things like, like running and endurance. And now, not only that, we have, to, we have to do so while constantly throwing aside sin that clings to us, weights that are constantly being put on us, and we're having to run with endurance this race that is set before us and throw all these things aside. Well, how do we do it? How do we endure? How do we run this race? Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So once again, our faith does not come from within us. It was founded and perfected outside of us and given to us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what, what was that joy that lay before Christ? If that's going to be kind of our model and example for how we run and how we endure and how we throw aside and how we get rid of the sin which clings so closely and we don't focus on the crowd and we just focus on who? We focus on Christ. What was that model that he laid for us? What was the joy that lay before him? The joy that lay before Christ is the same joy that lay before God the Father in sending Christ at Christmas. That he finds joy in us finding joy in him and giving him all the glory and the honor and the praise. So Christ modeled joy for us. The joy that lay before him is that he would sit at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling over his church as his church gives joy and glory and honor to God the Father. And that is what we look to as we seek to endure the constant temptation to find our joy in other things, even though it's only temporal happiness here on this slide. That's how we endure the constant temptation to wander off that well-lit path of God's word, the lamp unto our feet. You see, joy emboldens our endurance and focuses us on Christ. So that we can run for however long he is providentially set. We can endure whatever he has providentially laid before us on that path. We can lay aside every weight. We can throw off every sin. Why? Because we're focused on Christ. And we want our joy to be aligned with his. And our joy is that we give all joy and glory and honor to God the Father in the Son, Jesus Christ. And how was that made possible? Let's wrap it up. Let's go back to our text for this morning. How was that made possible? Go back to Romans chapter 15. How do we get filled by the God of hope with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope? Verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. If you need joy, if you need your joy reinvigorated, look to Christmas where Christ became a servant that we might be filled by the God of hope with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope, the hope of looking forward to Christ's second advent. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. As we consider these things, I pray that you would continually humble us at these truths and that you would continually bring us and fill us with an inexpressible joy and peace so that we as your church would constantly abound in the hope and the joy that you have provided us in Christ.
so that we would not be able to help but constantly reflect and overflow with that joy to one another and the unity that you provided us in your church and to everyone that we see, that they may know that true joy, lasting joy, can only be found in Christ. That we may truly pronounce, announce, and walk in joy to the world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.